Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I sometimes used to wonder, what would I do if one day one of my daughters just disappeared? It happens. I asked them if they did public appeals and things like that, and they said that in those days that just didn't really happen. And then, what would I do if it took nine years to find her? Their first instinct was something very strange has happened here. This is not a normal death. And then, when her poor body's been found, the police appear to not want to acknowledge that she may have been murdered. They felt this was the one thing that should have been done for their daughter, that her death should at least reflect the actual circumstances. And then, over 40 years later, there's still no recognition of what happened to my daughter. I don't know what I'd do. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Ronovich. Today, the family pain of an unsolved murder. This is a story about a couple whose daughter died 40 years ago and they've spent 40 years trying to find out what exactly happened to her and to get the answers that they need. That's the voice of Sunday Times features writer Rosie Kinchin. She's been looking at our obsession with the true crime genre in a Sunday Times series called Criminal Minds. Through it, Rosie wants to get a better understanding of what it's like for those whose real lives are affected by our interest in the gory and let's face it, often guiltily titillating genre. Today, we meet Val and John Earle, the parents of Jesse Earle. Jesse, originally from South London, went missing on the south coast of England in 1980. So Jessie was 22 when she disappeared. She was an art student in Eastbourne. She was living by herself down there. And that weekend, she was supposed to be coming home to see her parents because her pen friend was over from Australia. So the two girls had been writing to one another since they were children at primary school. And they'd stayed in touch the whole way through. And this was the first time Jessie's pen friend was going to be in England to meet her. So it was a big deal. And they were expecting her home on the Friday night, I think. By Saturday lunchtime, she still hadn't arrived. And Val started to feel quite anxious about it. So she got on a train down to Eastbourne and went to the house where Jessie was lodging. Once she got there, she bumped into Jessie's landlady, who said that Jessie wasn't here because she'd gone home for the weekend. Immediately, Val started to worry again and asked her when was the last time she'd seen her. And she said she saw her on Thursday afternoon. That was the last sighting of Jessie. Val went up to her bedroom and found her room 
looked as though someone had just popped out for a minute to, to nip down the road for an errand and was planning to come back. So the window was open. Her dinner plate was by the side of the bed. Um, nothing had been tidied away. Her smart dress that she'd worn that day was hanging on the back of the chair. And Val got the distinct impression that something had happened. Presumably, they go to the police uh, or they try and find her. The police were not worried about it because they said that Jessie was a grown woman and she had probably, you know, she'd probably just gone away for a couple of days and not to worry about it. It took at least a, a week for the police to take an active interest in it. And then they accepted something strange had happened. So they registered it as a missing person case. And they started to search around the area. They they had a big search parties on Beachy Head. They looked everywhere for her. The search went on for about six weeks, but they couldn't find any trace of Jessie. And it just began to peter out at that point. So six weeks of searching and absolutely no sign. It includes this famous landmark, Beachy Head, which is quite notorious as well, isn't it? Because people commit suicide from there and so on. Exactly. And it was one of the places that Jessie liked to walk in the evenings. Jessie loved nature. So she spent a lot of time outside looking at views and scenery and birds and all the things that she loved doing. We'll return to 1980 and Jessie's disappearance in a few minutes. But now let's forward to 2020, to when Rosie went to meet Val and John, Jessie Earle's parents. Rosie had been tipped off that there might have been some development in their case. I gave them a call, I introduced myself and I went round to their house in South London to talk to them. You were were a tight-knit family? Yes, she was. I'd never thought of it like that, but she kept in contact a lot. She did her own thing and I I wouldn't necessarily know... What were they like? They're very sweet, lovely, warm, welcoming people. John is 92, Val is 88. And then when her brother left home, she moved into the big front room. Right, she got an actual bedroom. This was only fair. <laughs> They've lived in the same house since Jessie disappeared. And so for 50, 60 years, I mean, she was raised in that house. So we met in their garden and we sat outside and we had a chat. <laughs> That's the poster that we put out. Yeah. Lovely curly hair. Yes, it wasn't always like that. Sometimes it was like that. <laughs> They're gorgeous pictures, actually. You know, I think I might... That's the one I like. I like that one. Their emotions about talking about the case were not at all what I expected them to be. I think they were more worried that they were boring people. The story still matters to them, but they sometimes struggle to understand why it should still matter to other people. And they've talked about it for so long now. They've struggled so hard to find any answers that they expect other people to have lost interest in it. In a way, what are they, slightly apologetic about telling this story? They sound in a way what people call classic British types. I think that's exactly right. They don't want to make a fuss. They're not the sort of people who, they're they're not brimming with, I mean, I found them remarkable in many ways, but they're not angry people. They're philosophical, forgiving, kind people. And they've been through something extraordinarily difficult and they've dealt with it with remarkable dignity. So back to 1980, Val and John are distraught. What parent wouldn't be? and desperately hoping the police will help find their daughter. But not much seems to be happening. I asked them if they did public appeals and things like that, and they said that in those days that just didn't really happen, that the police did what they could and then sort of very apologetically parked it, as it were. So they were left with their daughter missing and no idea what had happened to her or where she had gone. When they decided that, you know, she, she was a missing person, 
I said, would you put a leaflet out? No, they didn't put a leaflet out. We had to put our own leaflet out. Right. And is that what you did? That's what we did, and yeah. And we printed hundreds of them. Yeah. They couldn't abandon it, obviously, so they, by themselves, set out to try and try and find the answers, or at least to search, keep searching for her in case... They, they said that they ran through all possibilities. They wondered if she'd fallen and got amnesia. They wondered if she'd joined a cult. They met other families in similar positions. And I, I remember Val telling me that one of the families that they met, their child had been missing for and seven years. I remember clearly was that another, a lady we met who had a daughter missing before us, and we just happened to meet them. Um, and I can remember her saying to me, her daughter had been missing seven years. Mm. And I can remember thinking, we couldn't live seven couldn't years. Couldn't live seven years, couldn't not live seven years. This was only a few weeks for us. And Val said she remembered talking to her and thinking, we just couldn't survive seven years. I mean, it's not possible oh. to survive seven years without knowing what's happened to your child. That was when they were a few weeks in. And actually, it would turn out to be nine years before they found anything. I presume over time they themselves got pretty desperate. John said that he remembers reading newspaper articles. I mean, he said the compulsion is to read everything and to search everything. You're reading stories about terrible things that are happening to other people and wondering if that might be what's happened to Jesse too. And John said, you know, he remembered reading one story about a person who'd been kept in a sewer, like they'd been taken taken hostage and kept in a sewer. Abducted Mm. and hidden in a, a sewer. Right. And he remembered thinking, if that's what's happened to her, I'd rather she was just dead. These really horrible cases, you know, and you thought, my God, if that's happened to her... The alternatives were just awful. But the body of Jesse turns up nine years later in 1989. How did they find out? It was a bank holiday weekend in 1989. Val was listening to the radio and heard a news report that they had found bones on Beachy Head. Val immediately thought it could be Jessie, so she called the police. She said, this is who I am, this is my interest in it. So I rang the police immediately, yeah. and they said, oh, no, no, it's, it's, a, it's a man, probably a man anyway, right. but it'll be a little while. I said, well, look, we're going to Paris tomorrow. What should we do? And that she explained to the police that she and John were planning to go to Paris for that weekend. I think John had work. And the police said they were sure it was a man. So the Earls set off for Paris as advised by the police. And while there, they receive a phone call from the Sussex force. The body is not that of a man. It's now thought these are indeed the remains of their daughter, Jessie. But we advise you not to come straight back to the UK, say the police, because the media are now camped outside your home. So they spent that weekend walking around in Paris in a bit of a daze, thinking about all how their life was going to change, all the things they wouldn't have to do that they'd been doing for nine years. When they got back, they made their way up to Eastbourne. They saw the area where Jesse's body had been found. They saw how dense the undergrowth was. And they realised that something very odd had happened because there was no clothing left at the scene um, at all. We knew that Jesse all the time wore a ring and a watch. Yeah. No ring, no watch, no clothing, whatever. The ring and the watch that she always wore were gone. The only item of clothing was a bra that was tied in a knot. Except for one article, the bra. Right. Which Val recognised at once as Jessie's. Right. Yeah, because Brown was fashionable at that time, and it was a very small brown bra. Yeah. <laughs> and it was tied in a knot. Their first instinct was something very strange has happened here. This is not a normal death. What was Jessie doing in this thicket, and what's happened? But they also noticed that the police didn't seem to be asking 
those same questions or at least didn't seem to be interested in pursuing it as a suspicious death. The senior officers said we will not refer to it as murder. It's still a missing person. So they're simultaneously getting two messages. One, that there's some real strangeness about this death and they're getting that information largely from the police. On the other hand, they're getting the impression from the police that in some ways they're not too bothered about it. Well, they were very keen not to talk about it as a murder investigation. Val and John were sort of thinking this is very odd because she's not missing now. We know where she is. They say now that they were quite naive. Their view was to let the police do what they were going to do and to sort of step back from it all. And looking back on that moment, what do they now think the police were doing or was going through the police mind? Because it does seem strange. They think that they had other reasons for not wanting an unsolved murder on their books. We have our own reason for that. We, we still, I, I still think that they don't like and so they were keen to not have Jesse's death classified as murder. When you do actually find the body, you have to have a, an inquest. When did that happen and what happened there? The inquest happened the following year in 1990. And I think still at this point, Val and John were fairly sure that the police might not have solved what had happened to Jesse, but that the inquest would record the fact that it was a suspicious death. They felt over the course of the inquest that the police were not taking that line at all. And at one point, John says he got so frustrated that um, there was a young sergeant at the time who they'd built up quite a good relationship with. She was being questioned. I asked her straight, Mm. what do you think happened to Jesse? She was in the witness box. And she turned to the coroner and said, may I answer that? Mm. And he said yes. John said, what do you think happened to Jesse? And and the sergeant said... She said, I think Jesse was murdered. I think Jesse was murdered. That did not appear on his report of the inquest. Why not? Nothing. The only words on the report of the inquest were open verdict. The inquest, when it came to an end, recorded an open verdict. What does it actually mean? It means there are unexplained questions around the, the circumstances of the death, but that it isn't necessarily suspicious. It's not a killing. It's not an unlawful killing. Jessica was naked except for her bra, but police were unable to identify how she died. An inquest returned an open verdict. So an open verdict means there's something wrong with this, but we don't know what it is, but we're not going to go so far as to say it's an unlawful killing. And yet the police sergeant in that same inquest and the suspicions also the parents are, yeah, it's pretty clear it's a murder. And at this point, for the first time, the Earls felt really, really devastated and really let down by the system. From the moment I saw that death certificate, I thought, this is not fair to our daughter. We must get that altered. I didn't know how. Yeah. But that's all we've been living for since. We've got a death certificate that just says Jesse Earl dies in the date and unknown causes. And that's what, this is what this is all about. They felt that this was the one thing that should have been done for their daughter, that her death should at least reflect the actual circumstances. She quite clearly didn't have a natural death and they wanted that reflected on her death certificate. There was no clothing there. She was obviously hidden in those bushes. The only conclusion is that it was an unlawful killing. And he didn't refer to that in his findings. In just a moment, 
We'll look at how things turned out for the Earls in their decades-long quest to get an acknowledgement of what happened to their daughter. But before that, get to the heart of the stories like this and many, many more that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy it one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 1990 and Val and John Earl are left with an open verdict at their daughter's inquest, despite being told by one of the police officers that they now think it was murder. It's been a decade since Jesse first went missing in the south coast town of Eastbourne, and the Earls feel let down by the coroner's verdict. But what can they do? So, another ten more long years go by. And then... In 2000, they get a call out of the blue from a police officer saying that they are going to reopen Jesse's case. They reopened the case voluntarily, not no pressure from us. In 2000? We, we, yes, that's right, we received a phone call from an officer that we knew from the previous occasions. They were reviewing cold cases. There was enough evidence in Jesse's case to make them think it hadn't been resolved properly. So they decided they were going to revisit it. This time, with the cooperation of her parents, all of the pictures and all of the evidence stuck up on the walls, like you see in television programmes, the Earl said. As soon as they opened the case, yeah. reopened it, they recategorised the file as Jesse Earl murder. murder. They felt for the first time that someone was, was taking a serious interest in what had actually happened to their daughter. Yeah. That From that minute, word yeah. made all the you, made, you felt... Finally, it did. It definitely yeah. made a difference. It made a difference to what they did. It made a difference to how they thought. And yeah. so the file had been reopened as Jesse Earl murder, effectively. Why the change of heart? If you were in a drama, you'd say a new broom had come into the police station and started looking at these things and said, no, we can't possibly carry on with this thing that happened before we've got to change our minds. But life tends not to be like it is in the drama. So what was the explanation for why things had changed? 
I'm not sure they were ever given a particularly thorough explanation. The police told them there were loose ends in this case and they wanted to try and tie them up. That's what they started doing. And does it go anywhere? Do they manage to find out anything more that allows them to try and solve the case? No, they don't. It's another occasion where their hopes are raised and then dashed again. It seems to have just fizzled out. It's not clear what happened and why nothing was done. So yet again, the Earl's quest for an answer is stymied. Then, four years ago, in 2017, almost 40 years on from when Jesse first went missing, a former detective gets in touch. They get a phone call out of the blue from a guy called Mark Williams Thomas, who's a retired police officer who is now working as a private investigator and a television producer. And he says that he's interested in Jesse's death. But why exactly? Well, Williams Thomas believes it could be connected to a serial killer. In the meantime, a guy called Peter Tobin has been arrested initially for the death of a young woman called Angelica Kluke, who was killed while she was working at the same church where she came across Peter Tobin. In 2007, a Scottish odd job man called Peter Tobin had been charged with the murder of a Polish student, Angelica Kluck. Kluck and Tobin had both been working at a church in Glasgow when she was raped, murdered and buried under floorboards. Shortly afterwards, the remains of two other teenage girls, missing since 1991, were found interred at his former home in Kent, and he was convicted of their murder. It's believed Tobin had other victims. And Peter Tobin, according to Mark Williams Thomas, was in the area of Eastbourne at the same time that Jesse was killed. That is suggestive, at least. What did the parents think about this? Val said that her initial response was, we're not doing this again. At first I wasn't, no, because I said, we're not doing this anymore. And they didn't want to dredge it all up again. I thought other people would be bored. It seemed to me we'd been talking about it forever. Yeah. But they agreed to meet Mark Williams Thomas. They let him come round. And they said that there was something about him that they liked. I was very impressed with Mark. Yeah. He seemed sincere. He wasn't a sensationalist. He was interested and he'd done his homework really well-researched, and he had a very strong theory as to what had happened. And Val said, actually, listening to him talking, it was the first time she could actually think, well, yes, actually, I could see how that would have happened. There were a lot of things that just didn't wash with Jesse's character. But the idea that she could have been up on Beachy Head and he might have approached her, she wouldn't have walked away. She was polite and inquisitive, and she might have easily chatted to him. And also, they talked about the inquest and, and the coroner's verdict and how upset they were. Yeah, they were just as put out as we were of that coroner's finding, he said, this is wrong. Yeah. And they said, but of course, there's nothing we can do about that. And Mark said, well, no, actually, there is something you can do about that. He said, well, we can't put it right. And he said, yes, you can. It can be done. Right. It can be done. It's very difficult, but you can apply to have a coroner's verdict overturned. He understands what they want, which is really just focused on this coroner's verdict. And he's gone out of his way to help them to challenge that coroner's verdict that they're so unhappy with. He said it's not easy and it'll be expensive. But Mark Williams Thomas has the resources or knows how to get them. He hires a QC and a barrister after helping the Earl's crowdfund. The legal team visit the Earl's house and immediately comprehend the couple's long-held frustrations. The QC turned around to them and said, there is no way that that coroner's outcome is correct. This is not what happened to Jesse. 
And did they get a result? They've had a positive response. The Solicitor General has said, I concluded that the initial investigation was insufficient and further lines of inquiry should have been pursued. It is in the interest of justice the application for a new inquest be heard by the High Court. So this is very rare and it paves the way for basically for them to be able to hold a new inquest into Jesse Earle's death. So 40 years, over 40 years after she disappeared and 30 years after the original inquest, they're going to get one. Yeah, it looks that way. And that, that's an extraordinary thing in itself. What are the things that could conceivably happen at that inquest? William Thomas would like to be able to exhume Jesse's body to test it for DNA. Three years ago, William Thomas's TV programme, The Investigator, A British Crime Story, came up with the theory of how Tobin could have been involved in Jesse's death. Peter Tobin kept mementos from the girls that he killed. There were 32 items, I think, in his possession at the time that he was arrested, which were unaccounted for, pieces of jewellery. No, I'm not impressed. You're not interested in helping families who might have missed ones that you might have information about. I couldn't give a No, that's it. You have no humanity about you, do you? Oh, have I not? You don't care. Have you killed anyone else? Go and waste your money. Have you killed anybody else? Go and waste your money. You're not willing to answer that. Go and waste your money. That's part of a police interview with Peter Tobin, released in 2017. They just want to test to see if there's any way that they can link Jesse's body to anything that was in Tobin's possession. They just want to see whether they can push the investigation any further, whether the inquest is able to turn up any fresh evidence as to what happened in Jesse's final moments. Rosie, the thing that's driven you through a lot of this has been the impact upon people caught up in cases like this, both of the case itself and of the level of interest that there's been in that case. Earlier on, you were talking about how Val and John had talked to a couple whose daughter had been missing for seven years and thought they couldn't bear it. And here they are 40 years later. How have they got through it? Yeah, I mean, I I think that they've done it in the most amazing way. They talk about Jessie and they obviously enjoy remembering her and telling stories about her, but they are at peace with what's happened to her. They're remarkably philosophical about the whole thing. Val says, you know, well, what else could we do? But actually, there are lots of things they could do. There are lots of people who become angry and, and bitter and tormented by it. And you can forgive them for doing it. You can understand it. But they made a conscious decision not to let that happen to them, like not to let Jesse's death define the rest of their lives, that they were going to try and live as normally as they could, and that they would always, always talk to one another, which is what they've done. So every decision has been made by talking carefully to each other and respecting the other person's point of view. They're they're remarkable people. It's quite often said in these circumstances that people either do or don't want revenge on whoever it is, killed their son, daughter, loved one, whatever. Did you get any impression from them whether of what their attitude was if indeed it was murder, seems likely, towards the person who killed a girl, a young woman who had done nothing to anybody and was their daughter. I almost found them surprisingly devoid of any sentiment of vengeance or anger at all. They're not even that troubled by whether or not it is Peter Tobin. Quite frankly, we we are not hugely concerned about whether it was Tobin Tobin or some other person. Yeah, They almost just don't care to them that the issue is that Jesse Jesse's gone Jesse's not coming back again and they can live with that 
for so you, it's about correcting the... To us, yeah. well, it's correcting the justice. Yeah. At this stage, it certainly is. I mean, on the other hand, if it wasn't Toby, then it was somebody, wasn't it? Yeah. They can understand why it would be nice to know what happened, but they themselves are not driven by that at all. At the moment, the death certificate says unknown causes, and that's what really upsets them. The only thing really that is, has been driving us on at all yeah. is the feeling that she was unjustly treated. Yeah. The cause of her death is not unknown. Yeah. Val's interested in genealogy, and they know that they're getting elderly now, and they want to know that this piece of paper that they're leaving behind accurately reflects what happened to their daughter. They don't want it to be just a blank slate to go down as a mystery. I mean, we do do quite a lot of, you know, family history and know about the family and that. It'll be nice for people in the future to know what happened. Yeah. It looks as though no one's ever troubled to find out what happened to Jessie, and that's not true. Rosie, you're a mum. I'm a father of three young women. I've listened to this story and I I feel very emotional about it, about what they've been through and their daughter. How do you feel? I came away feeling slightly shell-shocked by it, actually, because I think that there are instances of people going through something that's so terrible that you, you can't quite process how and if you could ever manage to do the same. Did- was there ever a feeling of guilt if you allowed yourself to get on with life too much? Like, I mean, because no, she's still out no, there somewhere. Right from the outset, we've got to live normally. Yeah. The only way to cope with this at all was not to be knocked and over you by were working, it. Weren't you? Hmm? you were working. I was working, yeah. Yeah. Val and John are just really happy, lovely, warm people. And it seems remarkable that humans can go through something so terrible and still come out so good. Do you feel you could? I don't feel I could. No, I don't think I could. No, I think I'd fall apart. And I'm sure that there have been moments over the years where they've been broken with grief, but it is amazing to see them still solidly together, you know, and so happy. And and you think, wow, these people are are special. Did you celebrate birthdays and things like that, or did you just leave the whole thing? I don't think we've ever done that, so we're not prepared. We we never had shrines or anything. Yeah, you just wanted to move on. Eighth wedding anniversary. Yeah. We didn't even make it. Exactly. <laughs> we, we think we'll stay together now. <laughs> We've made the decision. We're going to try. <laughs> Stories of Our Times contacted Sussex police who told us we understand the continuing anguish of Jesse's family in not knowing what happened to their loved one and our thoughts remain with them. The new inquest into Jesse Earle's death has been granted, but as yet, no date has been set. Peter Tobin denies any involvement with her death. Val Earle is now in her late 80s, John Earle in his 90s. It's been 41 years since 22-year-old Jesse disappeared in Eastbourne. I can only imagine how those years have been for her mum and dad. Real crime involves real people. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. My guest today was Rosie Kinchin, features writer at The Sunday Times, and you can read more of Rosie's Criminal Mind series at thetimes.co.uk 
or in print on Sundays. The producer was Will Rowe, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, you can send us an email by writing to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.